Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you. We are jumping in three-week series right now that's going to help us process, to help us understand, to help us to evaluate a word that is a struggle for many people, and the word is forgiveness. The word is forgiveness. We're going to better jump into that. We're going to be doing that by walking through a story that I'm, I'm so excited to preach, uh, the prodigal son. I haven't preached that in probably six, seven years, and uh, I'm excited to preach it again. It's one of the most significant parables uh, that we find uh, from Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. Now, before we jump into the text, I need to remind you that understanding the context of the, this parable is vital, very, very important for us today. I'll give you um, the reason it's so important. Anybody here like football? Raise your hand. Yes, it's a good thing. We should have a flag football game, church-wide, be a blast. Um, I want you to imagine Michigan, Michigan, any Michigan fans? Yes? If you cheer for Michigan, you better be cheering when we worship Jesus later. Okay. Any Michigan State fans this year? Okay. Okay. It's fair. Fair? Okay. So you got Michigan, Michigan State. And so imagine if somebody comes up and they say, man, we, whatever team playing, whatever, it doesn't matter, okay? We crushed you, man. It was amazing. We just destroyed you. We annihilated you guys. We just flattened you like pancakes. It was awesome, right? That's how some people tell a story about one of those teams beating the other teams. When here's the reality of just a match, just play, play the scenario with me. One of the teams barely won. It was 44 seconds left in the game, and it was tied up 14 to 14. But then one of the teams, they break it for a long one. They score with 25 seconds left because they had a long play. They score. They go up by touchdown. Everybody, whatever, it doesn't matter, Michigan or Michigan State. Okay, this year, no offense, but it would be Michigan. So (laughs) next year, it may change. It's all good. All right. So all of a sudden, Michigan's up, and they're like, yeah, they're up by touchdown finally because that's how any coach keeps their job. If they can just win that one game, they're going to be okay. And so... They're up by a touchdown, and then because Michigan State's losing, they throw a Hail Mary at the very end of the game. Because it's a fluke play that some guy intercepts it and runs it back for another touchdown, they win by two. So they won 28-14. We crushed you. Did they really win by, I mean, did they crush them? No. Do you you see why the the actual context of the story matters to understand what took place? was Was it a whooping? No. It was tied up with 44 seconds left. But that's what we tend to do. In fact, believe it or not, I've been accused by my staff of sometimes exaggerating a story. (laughs) Right? And they don't work here anymore. It's good. So, (laughs) but sometimes we can take a story and we can be like, oh, this is what we did. Look at this. This was amazing. I crushed it. Right? And yet we, it was a really close game. It was tied 44 seconds left. It's just the way that unfolded that last 44 seconds because there were no more timeouts. This story about the prodigal son needs to be understood similarly, meaning you need to know the real story. You need to know the depth of it. You need to know what was happening in the culture around them to really wrap your mind around the significance of what's unfolding. In fact, there were so many, there were just deeply ingrained beliefs and understandings. There were cultural attitudes that were so real that it 
that right there, when Jesus spoke this, these words, this parable, really riled up other individuals. The word prodigal, let me give you a definition. I just looked up Oxford Dictionary. I just wanted to say, see what the dictionary said about what the, the term prodigal really means. It means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Here's some background. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem at this point. So if you're new to faith, if you're new to understanding of Jesus, maybe some of you are still going, I still want to kind of know who he is. I don't know if I believe in this God thing. I need to figure it out. And so um, Jesus, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect lamb of God, the Messiah. And he, he, he went public with his messianic, messianic meaning ministry of being Messiah. He went public with that roughly at the age of 30. And then for three years, he lived in that before they arrested him and crucified him. And then he rose from the dead on the third day, conquered death so that anybody who has faith in him can have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Right. So that's his story. At this point, when he's unpacking this part of the parables, the, these parables right now, he is at the end of that three-year ministry, Messianic ministry. So already people are knowing about him. They're following him. They're wanting to see what he's really about. And he's there for three years now, offering life through repentance, offering life through faith in him as the Messiah, right? Because it's just faith, guys. You can't earn it. It's just faith. Along that, along that journey, that path, man, he, he had made some enemies, It's really hard to be a believer, by the way, if you, don't, if you can't cope with confrontation. Jesus had to deal with it continually. He had made some enemies. That primarily, the, the, the key men, uh, enemies that he had were the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, the religious elite, if you would, right? They were legalistic, and um, they, Jesus saw them as being inwardly corrupt. Inwardly corrupt. They were hostile to Jesus because he confronted the hypocrisy. He didn't ignore it. That's, that's one of the reasons, one of the things I often speak about is that um, silence is concurring with. A lot of times we, we, we hear something, we know it's not right, we know it's not biblical, we know it's not godly, and we just ignore it, we just remain silent. But in time, if you continue that posture, you end up concurring with it, right? So silence is concurring with. And, and Jesus didn't do that. Like he, he did it respectfully, but he's like, no, 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 <laughs> no. And he did that con just constantly through his ministry. He saw the Pharisees as being self-righteous and corrupt. And that is not exactly what they wanted to hear. That takes us to your understanding. And now here are these Pharisees. They're listening in on these parables. And I say these parables because just Luke chapter 15, you have three parables. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. So the parable of the lost sheep, one out of a hundred you got a hundred sheep, one's lost. Who doesn't go look for the one? Now, there's a lot to that. I'm not going to get into that today. But one of a hundred. Then you got ten coins lost. Go find the one. So one of a hundred, one of ten, now one of two. Two sons. This is how we know the father here is not Dutch because he only has two boys. <laughs> right? So... Here you got one out of 100, one out of 10, now one out of two with this story. And in Luke chapter 15, he's going to do, a, a, now remember the Pharisees, the scribes are listening in on his conversation as he tells all these parables and all these stories. And, he's, and when he's telling these parables, he's addressing some of that corrupt attitude that they had. And now in Luke chapter 15, he begins by saying these words, all right? This is before these three parables. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners who the Pharisees hated, 
The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near him and the Pharisees and the scribes, what'd they do? What'd they do? Uh-huh. Has anybody here grumbled about anything so far today? Like, I wouldn't raise your hand. Or like, when I say, hey, have you spoken of the greatness of Jesus? Then raise your hand. Um, they're just a bunch of grumblers. And here are the Pharisees and the scribes. I told you those are some of his enemies. Here it is. Task collectors, sinners, they're drawing near him and the Pharisees and scribes are going, what? This man receives sinners and eats with them? No, you don't do that, man. You stay arm's length, even more so <laughs> arm's length from these guys. What are you doing? But yet the believers, I mean the believers, the Pharisees believed it was essential to remain separate from the sinners, from the task collectors. And if you look at the word Pharisees, if you really do your homework on it, one of the things it means is to be a separatist, to be separated from them. It's fascinating. And yet Christ came for all who have professed faith in him. Sinners, the, the term sinner is used by the Pharisees to describe those who have abandoned their commitment to Jewish life. So what originally, like part of where it came from, not completely, but part. So they're accusing Jesus of compromising his religious and social standards, um, but yet he doesn't care. I'll give you a perfect example is, this is another reason they were agitated with Jesus. That would be a tame word in this situation. Matthew chapter nine, nine through 13. This is when he calls Matthew. Matthew's other name is what? What was he? Matthew was a, Matthew was a, so one of the disciples, here he is as a task collector. They hate the fact that he's hanging out with task collectors and sinners, but yet here's Jesus hanging out with task collectors and sinners. One of his disciples. But in Matthew nine thirteen, he says, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but it's the sick. All of this is just ticking the Pharisees off. I, they're just, ah. Oh. And then in Luke 15, 11 and following, we find this story about the prodigal son. And as they hear all of it, they're going to grow more and more agitated towards Jesus. He says the following, there was a man who had two sons. How many? The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the... Now, this is going to be important to even understand what the estate is. We'll get to that. So he divided his property between them. I just want to go ahead and stop right there. We're not going to read the entire text right now. We'll get to more later on. So there's a man had two sons. The Pharisees right away, as just this verse 11 and 12, they're going, oh, this this is an outrageous statement right here. The younger one said, Father, give me my share of the estate. It was the the best word I could come up with was shameless. That was a shameless request of the son to the father for many, many reasons. I'm going to unpack some of those for you. It was an outrageous statement. It showed incredible disrespect to the father and there was no gratitude in his heart for the legacy that had been left to him because in that culture, what would have happened is you would have gotten your land and your animals. And back then, listen, most people didn't have more than five, six, 10 animals, okay? That'd have been, anything over that was a lot. Usually if you saw more than that, it's because an entire community came together to have them with one another. Um, but they would gain a state, they would gain property. And then you never, you never sold it. You always kept it. You would pass it to the next generation. 
and then they would pick that up and then they'd give it to the next generation so that that legacy could be there for that particular family. Really, really important to process. So here, there's no gratitude in his heart for the legacy that generations of his family had provided for. In fact, for the son to come into that culture and that culture, for the son to say, give me my share of the estate is no different. This is not the exaggeration. It is no different. This is one of the Pharisees go, oh, I can't believe this. That what? It's no different than saying, dad, I wish you were dead. They so, neg- he had, this, this younger son had so neglected the gift and the blessing that had been poured into his life. The way that he asked for it in return was to say, dad, I want nothing else to do with you. And it was as though he's saying, I wish that you were dead. I just can't process it. Why? Because you never, no one ever received their inheritance until their father passed. And now he's asking for it in advance. To ask for it earlier is really removing yourself from the family. He, this kid, I don't know what he did. And I say kid, young man, however old he was, he had to have valued wealth above the relationship that he had with his father. And I would even argue that in many ways, he's disregarding the fifth commandment, which is to honor your father and your mother. So that's another thing that they've got to be processing as Jewish people, right? They, they primarily function by the, the Mosaic law, first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch, Torah, however we want to refer to it. And so there's this thing with the the 10 commandments, honor your father and your mother. They're hearing this entire story and all of those things they're processing as they hear this and go, no, that's not, no, no. Who would do that? That's not even a real thing. No, but yet this is the story that Jesus is telling. Deuteronomy 21 tells us that by law, that family, the parents could have said, take this kid out and stone him. That's how significant this is. So his request, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my piece of the property. That's what the estate was. I told you I'd come back to that. That's the material stuff, the land, the animals, things of that nature, the buildings. And in a two-brother family, according to Deuteronomy 21, the estate would be divided unequally. The older brother would receive twice that that the younger would receive. So now here's the younger stepping in. And part of me even thinks, like, where was the older brother in this? There's so much disgrace so much shamed in what's happening. Where's the older brother? We don't know, but it's still one of those things that always pops in my mind when I read through Luke chapter 15. Knowing that the parents could have come back and said, just take this, this guy out, stone him, he's done, he's dead. This, I think that's why if you look in both uh, in Luke 15, 24, but also again in Luke chapter 15, verse 32. So both in 30, 24 and 32, you see where he refers to this son of mine was dead and now he has come. He does it two different times. I think that's why. That shows you the, the cultural significance, the contextualization of this to say, hey, this son of mine was dead. Literally, he was gone. He was finished, nothing to do with him at all. And now he's come back. It shows you the the magnitude of what's taking place. The older son 
Who knows where he is? The younger son had to be arrogant, lack of understanding all that had been done for him. Uh, here's another thing I want to touch on is I, I think that this is a guy who wanted everything, all the blessings without the responsibility. Friends, you need to know right now that inheritance brought responsibility. When I examine sometimes even being a parent, sometimes the biggest frustration I can have as a parent is when I think I have kids who aren't grateful for what they've been given, right? Nobody likes to give anything to anyone when they expect it. Kids, listen up. Christmas is on its way. Nobody likes to give you anything when you're not appreciative of it, when you just expect it to be given to you. And so when, even as a father, when I'm dealing with people, and by the way, we are sometimes those very same people, we expect God to continually lavish blessings and goodness into our lives. And we just expect more and more and more of it. He expected all that goodness, but one of the greatest gifts we have is the responsibility and the inheritance brought a responsibility to manage it, to steward it well. And so, yeah, when I give my kids something, even if it's small, if they don't steward it well, I say, well, what you do with the small determines how you're going to handle the big. So now it's going to show me we have some learning to do. There's the conversations we have. It's not hard. It's a pain but it's not really that hard. We just have to have the conversation. And here's a guy who said, I want everything that you have to give to me, but I don't want any of the responsibility. Even with my kids, I, I speak to them regularly. I say, guys, um, the reality is that people are watching you um, and they see what you wear. They see what you do. They see how you speak, how you act. They do all this. And um, I don't put this unneeded pressure on my kids. They have enough of it anyway. Um, but I look at it and say, but guys, I want you to know that's not a bad thing. Anybody want to influence the people around you? Yeah. That's what, like, young people today make a job out of it, influencers. And they go around with cameras. They just do like this and they pray to get on YouTube, right? And I hopefully I mean more than that. I'm not, like, but we want to influence other people. So now you have an opportunity to influence other people, but our posture today is then we're like, well, this isn't fair. They're, they're judging me. No, you wanted to influence other people. What are you, like, what are, you're only seeing what you want to see without picking up the responsibility that comes with what you have been given. This is the story of the prodigal son. He wanted all of these blessings that were coming from the family, coming from his father, but he didn't want the responsibility that it came with. And some of us are neglecting the responsibility of claiming to know Jesus Christ. I have freedom, I have life, no matter what I've done, if I place faith in him, I can claim victory. And yet we're walking around saying, God, give me more, let's go. And he's going, why? You haven't handled the responsibility of the freedom that you already have. You're still living according to yourself. He didn't want the leadership. He didn't want the responsibility. He didn't want the accountability that came with it. In many ways, he, he doesn't love God, doesn't care about God, wants something to do with God, because yes, the Father in this story is the Heavenly Father. Whole scene is shameful. And then what it does, it tells us in Luke chapter 15, it says the following. Young man, two sons, younger says, Father, give me my share of the property. He divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his wealth, right? He squandered, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine in that whole country, there was a severe famine in that entire country. He began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to a citizen of that country, sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that were, the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The younger son, as soon as he, he goes to his father, says, I want my share. Give me what I, I want it. Let's go. I want it. I'm cashing out. He packed up everything he had. He took off. Went to a what country? Distant country. And he didn't go from Hudsonville to Jenison. Right? He, much further. He was out. He, he's been waiting to get out. And he ends up squandering everything that he had. He threw away his inheritance. He was a prodigal. He wasted it on reckless living. Taking no responsibility for it whatsoever. In verse 30, it tells us that the older brother says that he squandered his wealth, his inheritance with prostitutes. So he spends everything that he has. He was the new guy, big bank guy, right? Cash in the pocket, but he surrounds himself with scum, runs out of money. He spends everything, 100% his fault. Now, a lot of people in this situation Here's how we're like the prodigal is that we've gone and we've lived life that we wanted to live. And then when we have the consequences for the, the decisions we've made, we then get angry at God, the father. Why then God must not be real then. Why is all this stuff happening? Because you, you have a choice. Friends, that's the way God works. That's what, so many people say, well, why do bad things happen then if God's real? And, and they start talking about all these different things. And um, one of the stories I, I'll tell is I've been hit by drunk drivers, two cars total twice. Both times, engine really knocked off the block of the car. Some incredible. One of them going 40 miles an hour hit me dead on. I happened that one night, I don't know why, instead of taking my car, I borrowed my friend's car, one of those first-time station wagons, Volvo giant things that weigh 74 million pounds. My car, I had a little Toyota Celica. I would have died in the moment. Was that God's fault? No. You know what that is? That's called living in a sinful world. And those dum-dums who chose to get drunk, get behind the wheel, hit me. Other people's sin and your sin and your disobedience and your squandering impacts other people. But yet you're about to, you're seeing a picture of who the heavenly father is. He doesn't say, well, this is who I am and you will do everything I say no matter what. He gives you that ability to make a decision. But then the consequence of your decision isn't then on God. So the younger son cashes out, goes to a distant country. He squanders everything he has. He spends absolutely everything. And then a famine comes. Now those guys knew famine differently than we understand famine today. We have a different understanding of, uh, of famine now because we have so much. We have pantry fulls of everything, right? All of us still have at least 500 rolls of toilet paper left over from COVID. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, I never understood that. I never bought one extra roll of toilet paper. I bought, I bought a little bit more food, not much. Like, I was like, oh, an extra day worth would be good. But like, if you don't have enough food, you don't need the toilet paper. I never understood our thinking on this. 
right? Now you feel a little silly, don't you? You're like, man, we got so much toilet paper, we ain't got nothing to eat, but man, let's go. What? We're just dumb. Like, that's what fear does to us, doesn't it? We don't know need. We don't know famine the way that they knew need, the way that they knew famine. They didn't have pantries. They didn't have the refrigerators. So when a famine would hit, it would impact the entire culture in such significant ways. People would just die, right, when a famine would hit. So now he lost everything he had because of his arrogance and how prideful he was, right? And yet then, as soon as that's over, here comes a famine in the land. And I think one of the most important parts, one of the most important phrases of this entire story is about to hit us. It tells us, verse 14, he spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And he began to be in what? And he began to be in what? This is important. I want you to remember this. He began to be in need. I don't know if that was the aha moment. But he began to be in need. Finally. Loses everything he has. A famine hits the country. And now he's in need. He hits rock. What, what would be the word? He hit rock. Finally. You know, we always say, just learn from those who have gone before you. I tell people all the time as I meet with pastors, like, just learn from all my mistakes. You, don't, you ain't got to make any of them. I've made them all. And guess what they do? They still want to make their own mistakes. And, and sometimes we just need to do that. We need to make our own mistakes. I get that. But wouldn't it be easier if we actually learn from those who have gone before? Sometimes we just have to hit rock bottom. We always think we're, if you're new here to Chapel Point, I tell people, we always think we're exception to the rule. You're not the exception to the rule. So he hit rock bottom. He began to be in need for the first time. He, he can't supply what he actually needs. He doesn't have it and he can't get it. He has no family. He's in a foreign land, nowhere to turn. He didn't understand real life. He didn't want to take the responsibility. It's, it's the young person who moves out as soon as they hit 18. They're like, I can be on my own and I can afford that $1,200, whatever it is, a month rent. I'm going to go do it. And then they forget that they don't have any furniture. And they forget that there's electric bills and car payments. And like, well, I, I, I own the car outright. I'm like, who's paying for the insurance? And they're like, well, how much is insurance? And I'm like, it's $18,000 a month. So what it feels like, amen. amen. I think the church will buy our own insurance company. And it's just like all of a sudden, well, who's going to pay for the tires? Tires, don't they last forever? No, nope, nope, they don't. Especially the way you drive. Sometimes we don't want to face the responsibility of what we have. And now here's this individual not wanting to face the responsibility of what they have. And they are finally broken. But guess what? Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen. This is important because he finally recognized that he was in need. He began to be in, but he still would not humble himself and go home. 
Like, I'm just trying, I'm trying to help you. Is this where you are? Everybody's like, oh, are you the younger son? Are you the older son? I think some of us are the Pharisees. And now all of a sudden, here he is. He's in need, and yet he still is not humble enough to go home. He has no family. He's in a foreign land, nowhere to turn. All of his resources are gone. He's destitute. But he, instead of going home, he goes to a citizen of the country, which literally means a, a privileged person, a wealthy person. And in desperation, he begs for work and for food. And so he's sent into the fields to feed pigs. Now, let me give you some context. Jewish boy feeding pigs, Gentile land. Jewish boy feeding what? Gentile land. If you know about the word of God and significance of the Jewish man feeding pigs, right? Both Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 tells us passages indicating that Jews couldn't eat pork. They were unclean animals. And so now for him to be coping with this, it was the lowest of the low. For him to be dealing with this is just, it's just preposterous. And now he's longing to fill his stomach with the pods they're eating. All throughout the Mediterranean area, there were these bitter berries. Those are the pods. When it talks about these pods, that they would only feed to animals or the lowest of the low. And so that's what they were feeding to the pigs. Here's a guy in so much need, he began to be in what? Some of you are in need. You're just not acknowledging it yet. You think you got it all together. You're just hoping that you, you don't have to actually go through the humility of having to go back home. You need to start walking back home. But right now, this guy is not in this place. And so here he is, even looking at these pigs. And have you ever, even, have you seen pigs eat? I grew up working on farms through the summer and stuff like that. We didn't have pigs, but other friends did. And I dealt with cattle and, and just dealing with watermelons, different things of that nature, and all kinds of plants at a nursery. But here, my neighbors had some pigs. You, if you've seen pigs eat, They don't put their napkin in their lap and make sure the fork's on the left side of the plate. You do know that, right? Fork's on the left side of the plate, then knife and the spoon, salad, fork, right? We have to do it proper. Well, then all these pages come, and they're just like eating, and they come together, and he's looking at that, and he says, I want some of that. When you're in so much desperation, so much need, and yet you're still, still too arrogant to come back to the Father, you start to see things differently. Even the most detestable thing begins to go, mm, okay, maybe. But he wanted to fill his stomach. Verse 17, 18. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. To repent literally means to change your mind, by the way. And I think that's what this is speaking about when he says he came to himself. He was willing to go repent. He, this is important. He knew he was in need, still not wanting to go home yet. Now he's in so much desperation where he knows he's looking at the pigs and the food and the, the pods that they're eating and goes, I need some of that. And he's like, okay, forget it. And so it's like he, he came to himself. He woke up. He woke up that, yes, we all have need of a Savior. You cannot do it alone. 
And some of us are so determined that we can man up. And this is a cultural issue we have, that if you can stand tall enough, you can do it on your own. We're not called to do it on our own. We're called to live in the community of the Heavenly Father. Wake up. Come to your senses. One of the greatest reasons we have so many prodigals is because we have a bunch of sons and daughters who are leaving because they look at their parents and they go, well, they can do it on their own. And they recognize that we're not called to do it on our own. And they're going, what do they, what do they believe in? And they just know it's got to be different than what they see being modeled. We are called to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, not alone. So he comes to him, he wakes up, he comes to himself. It's a change of mind, and it leads to a change in heart. A change of understanding leads to a change in direction. And he recognizes that what he thought would bring freedom, what he thought would bring freedom only brought bondage. I, if I can just do what I want to do, it brought bondage. If I can just be on my own, it brought bondage. If I can just have all these resources that I didn't earn, I'll have the life I really want. It brought bondage. So he says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? I perish here with hunger. And he says this, and this is where I'm going to challenge you big time as we conclude today. Because it's a three-week journey. This is of all time. Come back three weeks. This is a journey we'll end on. And you'll go, okay. Because we have, in this story, what we, what we have is the forgiven son. We're going to discover that. We have a forgiving father, but then we also have an unforgiving brother. But he says this in this passage. And again, this is where we'll conclude. He says, I will arise and go to my father. What I, 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 inner dialogue, all right? Sometimes my, my kids catch me like, dad, you know you're talking out loud to yourself again. Like I've just embraced it. Um, I think about the inner conversations I have with myself. It's one of the reasons I love to sit on a lawnmower sometimes or a tractor or something like that. And I just go and my kids come and tell me like, dad, you've cut it three times. Like, I'm like, just, I'm processing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, thinking. And you have this inner conversation with yourself. He has this inner, this is an inner conversation. He, he goes, man, wait, my father's hired servants have far more than I do. I'm, I'm starving. I, 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 okay. Finally, there was enough humiliation for him to say, I'm going to get up and go back home. In which way, just process for yourself, do you need to get up and go back home? Right? You still have that thing in your life where you're trying to find fulfillment and you know it's of sin. or you're arrogant and pompous and you're so busy judging other people's prodigalness that you don't recognize that they're parts of your own life that you've never surrendered to the Father. Do you need to start the journey of walking back to God? 
Make the real journey of walking back to God. And sometimes the only way it can happen is it's a, it's a radical shift, right? That's part of what repentance means too. It's, it's turning away from and it's a 180. It's, it's that thing. And so you're going to just, you're going to redo your calendar. You're going to redo, you're going to schedule 30 minutes to live in the word of God. You're going to schedule 20 minutes just to just sit in prayer and listen to God and what he's doing. Because some of you need to come back to the father and he's just waiting. You're going to learn that next week, big time as we walk through that text. Friends, here, one of the lessons we learned, here's a guy who rebelled. Rebellion is sin against God, the father. Some of you haven't fully rebelled. You're like, oh, I do pretty good in all these other areas. But there's are some things that you still, you're, you're trying to find fulfillment in them. You're not going to surrender those to God. And yet as a result, you're in a, a contentious relationship with the heavenly father. Right, you, you ever been in a relationship with someone where you're good as long as certain subjects aren't brought up? In a couple of weeks, we have this thing coming called um, thanks. There you go. I'm just want to see if you're there. You know how many people out here like, I, listen, it's going to be good. I'm going to see my family as long as we don't talk about this. I think some of us are the same with the Heavenly Father. Man, me and the Heavenly, we're good as long as we don't talk about pornography. As long as we don't talk about my idol of money. As long as we don't speak about the fact that I won't speak about him. Some of us need to start walking the journey back home. So this, this is what I like to do to close. I actually, um, I want to put a prayer up on the screen. It's very, very short. I want you just to think about these words. Our God is waiting for you to start walking home, by the way. He is a God of second chances, amen? Third chances, four chances, fifth chances. That's who he is, so full of grace. But here's a son who I think at some point probably didn't know if he would, could be forgiven. But he still stood up and he says, I, I need to, he says, here Rose, I'm gonna go back home. Some of you need to figuratively stand up, start walking home. So can, can I invite you just to, to read this, process this, Maybe this is your prayer. Take the journey back to him. May your rebellion turn to confession and your confession turn to praise. He is a good father, amen? Start walking home. Praise be to the Father. God, I love you. I praise you. I worship you. I declare your goodness. And I thank you that we can even acknowledge that, yes, yeah, some of us have been prodigal. Some of us in, in some way, not every way, but in just some ways. And we try to paint a picture of ourselves that we're not. But may you redeem and restore and renew as we worship you. Amen.